Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. Up on a Friday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is upon us again. We've got a baseball preview with Colin Brister as Ole Miss prepares for a uh, or is set for a showdown with uh, Tennessee this weekend and what should be one of the bigger regular season series of the SEC season saw some pretty crazy ticket rates going out there but should be a fun packed series Tennessee certainly has an argument to be uh, the best team in college baseball certainly one of the I would say four best teams I've watched this year so anyway we, Colin and I got into that series what Ole Miss needs to do on the mound um, whether the offense can keep pace and a lot of different other stuff as uh, they try to try to figure this thing out offense swinging it pretty well pitching uh to be determined at best we'll call it that so anyway they're uh they're certainly going to face a better pitching staff this weekend so we got into all angles of that old miss tennessee series and then we'll take your mailbag questions after that how about that for a plan for a friday show let's get this weekend started off right before we get to that i want to remind you the podcast brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked they're the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Last night, you hit a max winner on Villanova, Michigan, I believe, if you use Skybox. And if you're a Skybox subscriber and have been to the been on the March Madness package from the start, you are holding a 40-1 to 1 Houston Cougars ticket to win the entire thing. How about that? From what you've seen so far, can you name three, team, three teams that have looked better than Houston this, uh, throughout this tournament? I sure can't. I'm not even sure I could name two. So you're going to, uh, you're going to want to go to Skybox. Their March Madness package is still available. If you want to jump on these uh, Friday Sweet 16 games through the weekend, they will lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. I can promise you that. Look, if you don't make the same mistake as last weekend, I'm sure the bookie texted you wondering where, uh, wondering if you could settle up where the scratch was. It's a terrible feeling, particularly got the Sunday scaries. You want to be texting the bookie asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox will do that more consistently than anyone else in the industry and certainly more consistently than your own knowledge. Check them out. And then while you're up there on the site, skyboxsportspicks.com, go peruse other t- uh, picks packages. They're going to have a package that fits your price range. You can go month-long, season-long. You can go sports-centric, month-long, all sports, week-long. Try it for a day. Use the daily pass if you just want to get after it for a Saturday. Be a degenerate with your friends. Try it out. Use that promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get 20% off any picks package you choose. Right now, you can still get the NASCAR package. They're destroying it on NASCAR um, I've seen the stats. I don't understand what ton of them, what a ton of them mean, but uh, I can promise our guy Mark Harris over there, friend of the pod, is absolutely killing it on NASCAR. You can buy that package through the end of the month for through March 31st. Yeah, so the end of the month, um, and if you use the uh, promo code NASCAR, you get 30% off. You're going to want to get that before all you can. You get the futures free. Uh, if you're into NASCAR, why not watch the race and make money while doing it? Because that guy absolutely ruins vegas when it comes to nascar check them out skyboxsportspicks.com podcast also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford go see greg you know the drill we're gonna have greg on for a grill corner soon it is absolutely the best place in mississippi to get meat oxford is so lucky to have a place like lb's if you're a rippy Wright subscriber that's rippywrites.substack.com you get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week and discounted meats how about that right now it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a five dollar pack of sausage just walk in there, show Greg proof of subscription, and you're all set. He'll get you squared away, and then go find all your own favorites at LB's. All kinds of delicious cuts of meat, fresh seafood, 
uh, all kinds of delicious sausages, sides, like the crab stuffed mushrooms, among other things, filet burgers. It's grilling season. The weather's about to get better. Uh, I imagine some of you may be turning on the Ole Miss Tennessee series on your back porch this evening. Why not throw something from LB's on the grill? That's the best way to spend the weekend. Enjoy the nice weather. It's baseball season. It's grilling season. Go buy LB's. He feeds the baseball team. Shouldn't he feed you watching the baseball team? That's really all the ad read you need. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Soon to be in the central Mississippi area there around the Metro Jackson in Glugstadt. Metro Jackson area. I can't talk this morning. In Glugstadt. So we'll get an update on that. Have Greg on for a grill corner soon and get that, uh, get that all squared away. All right. Here is Colin Brister on Ole Miss, Tennessee. All right, we now welcome on Repeat Rights baseball correspondent Colin Brister. We are here to talk about Matt Corral's pro day, hand sizes, certain uh, certain other things. Uh, no, we'll uh, talk some Ole Miss Tennessee. What's up, man? Not much, not much. We uh, we can talk some pro day, but uh, I saw none of it, so that would be be pretty tough. I followed some of it while I was at work. We're recording this on a Wednesday night as Ole Miss is actually playing Memphis. I'll probably have some solo thoughts from this game if it warrants it at the top. But we're recording this as Ole Miss is getting underway. With Memphis, got it up on the other monitor here. I watched some of it. I, I just – is it stupid to say that I don't really care? Like, I know no. this is a year to care, right? Ole Miss had Matt Corral. But, like, I don't know. Just, like, they're, the draft dudes are going to make their decisions, make their evaluations. I watched Matt Corral for three years with my own eyes, two and a half, thanks to Rich Rod. But you get my point. Like, I, I just <laughs> – he is what he is. I think he has a chance to be successful in the NFL. I don't think anything he's going to do at his pro day or at the combine is going to change that for me. No, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, I just – I guess people maybe wanted to see how he'd recover from the injury, and I get that. And, um, he but, Yeah, that's that's kind of what I had seen on Twitter and whatnot, what I'd, what I'd read. So, uh, happy for that. I, you know, I saw a mock where he had fallen to 32. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope he's, you know, a top 20 pick or so. I'm interested. I will say I'm not much of an NFL draft guy, but obviously with him being involved and probably in the first round, I, I probably will find myself watching the first round this year. Yeah, and, like, honestly, the I don't understand. That, so, I watched Kenny Pickett, and I watched a couple of Kenny Pickett games where I was like, holy hell, this guy's really, really good. Like, I get it. I get the Malik Willis, um, like what he could potentially be. I was actually fairly impressed with Willis when he came to Oxford. That kid kept getting destroyed on every play and kept getting up and made some really impressive throws in the second half. I don't really know how to evaluate him because I didn't watch much Liberty other than that. But I get the hype, right? A big time R, big kid, um, you know, pretty mobile. But, like, I just don't understand, like, if I, like, you're going to have a hard time selling me that there's two or three quarterbacks better than Matt Corral, but maybe uh maybe I'm wrong in that sense but also the other part of that is maybe it works a little bit to his advantage like if he went to the Steelers at whatever pick they have that would be kind of sick as opposed to him getting stuck in maybe the Kenny Pickett slot of like going to Detroit and it's like well you know you're kind of set up for failure there unless you're just you know special and can overcome the dysfunction that comes with um you know that franchise basically there's really no other way to put it so maybe it helps him but I think you're right I wouldn't want to see him fall to 32 but if he can go to like a team that's not a total disaster maybe in the late teens early 20s that'd be kind of cool yeah no um so yeah that's that's obviously wow Memphis has been abysmal the first inning and two errors lead to an old Miss run anyways um yeah no I mean if, if you're Matt Corral I don't think you'd have any qualms about going like 18 or whatever or 20 whatever you said for the Steelers um that would be a good place for him to go obviously a, a place for success and a place that you can uh that can win football games and, and not have to go deal with Detroit and a place where they haven't won in forever and they traded a quarterback that immediately went and won the Super Bowl um so yeah no I mean it's 
obviously, you know, I want Matt to go in the first round more than anything. But, um, you know, it's it's it, the farther he falls, I guess, until a certain point is probably not 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 the worst thing in the world for him, like you said. Yeah, it's been interesting to see the the NFL like they kind of come they're the knocks evolve and it ah. by the way, just bouncing around here, but it's funny you say that. Our uh, remember when we tried to do the live show last year during a baseball game and like your stream was ahead of mine for part of it and then vice right. versa. Ours could not have been more synced up there when you said wow because the ball literally fell off the kid's glove if you said wow in left field. Well, have you seen what Ole Miss just did after that? Yeah, the uh, the the they ran into an out there. That's so baseball. bad. God. Yeah, the, the base running. But maybe we'll turn this podcast into a live midweek game against Memphis to um, – That is just so bad. But anyways, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't get it. Last corral thought was – the other part of that is, like, I saw a couple mocks where he was, like, going to go to Washington. And I'm glad Washington traded a fool's haul for Carson Wentz, which still doesn't make <laughs> any sense given the way the quarterback market shook out after that. Whereas, like, they got a first-round pick in a second round to – or they had to give up one to get Wentz. Whereas the Colts got Matt Ryan without giving up a first round pick, like who would you rather have Carson Wentz or Matt Ryan? Like there's some holes that have been filled that I'm glad he didn't go to. Cause I don't care how good you are. I'm not sure how much dysfunction you could overcome. Like how, how good you'd have to be to overcome the dysfunction in Washington. Some holes in that regard have been filled up, which I'm glad I'm glad for. So we'll see where he goes. I, uh, I, I think he's got a chance to be successful in the NFL. Also the more people that know stuff more about it than I do, it doesn't sound like he might be a guy that's going to come in and, like, start from day one. It sounds like he needs a little bit of seasoning and developing, which would make sense. But I guess the point I was getting at, I literally just lost track of my own thought there, was the NFL kind of rotates, like, the knocks on guys, and now it seems to be they're low on the RPO-type guys, which I don't really understand. But that seems to be kind of something floating around that he ran a lot of RPO. Well, I saw that kid make decisions his last year. Um, I don't care if it was RPO or the triple option. I would, uh, I would trust it. I saw him throw a ball against Arkansas 65 yards in the air and it landed Braylon or uh, was it Braylon's? Yeah, Braylon's hands um, for a pass down to the one yard line. And at that moment, I decided that kid's really, really good and should probably get drafted really high. So I didn't really need to see anything else after he made that throw. Um, but no, like, <laughs> it's, you know, the decision things, whatever. I get NFL offenses are much more complex than college offenses, but come on. Like, you, you either have the talent to compete at that level or you don't. And, and Matt certainly does. And it never works out the way you think, right? Like, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes was not the number one guy. And I'm not saying he's right. going to be Mahomes, but you get the – like, the way this goes every year, I'm trying to think. I mean, you could go back as far as, like, Aaron Rodgers, not the number one guy. Like, it never really works out. Um, Herbert, I don't remember where he was taking. Wasn't he the second? Was he the first quarterback? Yeah, I don't think he was the first. I can't remember in that draft, but you get my point. It's never the first guy that worked. Josh Allen goes to the Bills, like the third quarterback off that board in kind of that ridiculous draft. But it'll all change um, as we get closer. And I'm also partly convinced that some NFL teams don't start doing their homework till late. I read, read one report in The Athletic where one scout was concerned with how much of a runner corral became. It's like, dude, did you see the receiving core? <laughs> he was thrown to the second half of the year. Like, Lane Kiffin didn't run him because he can't throw. <laughs> he did it because he didn't have anybody to complete passes too foul. You remember the end of the game against Auburn where it's like Jacor Pearson and some other cats? He threw a pass to one guy, and I know who he is, but his name's escaping me. But when I was watching that game, because I remember I was watching at a friend's house at a Halloween party, and I was a little peeved about the audio setup for the second half. I'll leave it at that. But he threw a pass to one guy, and I just turned around, and I go, who? Who is this? Who? Like, where? <laughs> where is he on the roster? It was not great. Oh, goodness. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, but I think, what, the draft's a month away or so, so. 
uh, it'll get resolved pretty soon. Uh, I'm just not a big NFL draft guy, but obviously this one, this one will pique my interest. I like the draft. I'm not a big lead up to the draft guy. The combine doesn't do a lot for me, neither do pro days, but I do. I love seeing like after the first day or even day two, kind of who got what just from following college football. You know what I mean? Like I love the NFL on Sundays, but like the, Holy hell, did you see this guy's three cone drill? Not, not peaking my interest. Um, but you know I, who had a bad three cone drill? Uh, yes, DK Metcalf. And that's uh, true. The uh, I love retweeting that Tom Lugan build tweet every now and again, where it's like, watch the tape. It's like, buddy, I there's a there's a Bo Bounds tweet uh, when DK was in high school. Where Bounds said he wasn't a top ten player in Mississippi that I like to go to. I remember that one. Not a top ten player in the state. Um, I think he is cashed in on that. The, the twelfth best player in the state did pretty good things for the Seahawks. So those other eleven must be crushing it. I'd like to see the. <laughs> so, um, speaking of like the the draft, it's springtime. That's uh. Oh, I don't have a good segue. Let's get into Ole Miss, Tennessee. Spring has sprung, though. It's going to be good weather in Oxford this weekend, I saw. And you have a titanic clash in terms of regular season SEC baseball. I don't know if you saw the uh, get-in-the-door price for some of these games. But my uh, – so they announced – I believe they announced a sellout on Saturday. Did you see that? They and Friday. Friday and Saturday are both sold out. So in my uh, so I have a reason for asking this. Do they do that often? Do they announce sellouts for regular season crowds? I don't. Remember I have not seen one ever. No. So uh, I wonder why they're doing that because like I have a hard time believing that Ole Miss Tennessee is going to be the greatest regular season crowd Ole Miss has ever had. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm underselling the hell out of this. I, I think it's going to be really good. Oh no no I'm with you there. Um, I, I just wonder like why they're announcing sellouts just because you have the standing room general admission. But maybe it's that high. It's a uh, but the reason I ask that is my uh, girlfriend's parents are in Oxford. She has a youngest sibling that is still in school there. I think she's a junior. Um, and he called me last night. They're actually sitting with my parents for the Saturday game. And I was like, buddy, y'all are in for a treat. That's going to be a ton of fun. But he was like, yeah, I thought about going secondary market. And, like, some of these just very average seats were going, like, 140 on StubHub and stuff. And that just made me think and pause for a second. I was like – Imagine that saying that in college baseball out loud like seven years ago, that they get into door price, like StubHub for a Saturday SEC game, it's like 140. Yeah, well, and and I'm, I'm pulling it up now because I, ha I have two that I can sell on Friday if we're, uh, we're doing that. Oh, um, but look into that. It's, 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 up, it's pretty <laughs> But, no, I mean, it's, it's, it was like that if you remember, um, you know, what was the game, LSU and uh, Louisiana Tech? Where, yeah, you know, early in the year. Yeah, where it's extremely, extremely high to get into get into the game. So, I, I, college baseball's taken off, man. Look, it's never going to get to the level that college football or probably even college basketball is. But um, you know, it's 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 to the point where people where it's a hard ticket in some places. I mean, there Saturday night if Ole Miss, especially if Ole Miss wins um, on Friday, uh, it'll be really, really hard for you to find a seat. Um, so, you know, it's a uh, it's interesting. It's I'm, I'm interested to see what these crowds look like. I, I think there may be some attendance records broken this weekend, especially if Ole Miss is to play well. That uh, you know what? That's just breeding grounds for pissing people off on the internet. Uh, it seems oh, like, and look, Ole Miss is not uh, exempt from this either. But opposing fans, it's really Ole Miss, Arkansas, and uh, Mississippi State. I always read with uh, just great pleasure why anyone cares about this. But the the largest crowds ever graphic really pisses people off. And I can't really put my finger as to why anyone would spend time caring about that. Um, like, I, I don't mean that from the school sense either. I get why Ole Miss would want to publicize how many people they had come to a game. I, I don't find that significant per se, because Ole Miss has drawn great crowds for, you know, 
a decade and a half now, but I get why they publicize it. I don't get why people that makes people upset, but it does crack me up where it's like attendance wars. And it's like, I've been to all three places. State like has probably the nicest ballpark in terms of money and facilities. That place, like, I get that people make fun of them for calling it a cathedral to college baseball, but it really is pretty, pretty sweet place there. Sure. Can you not just admit that all three, Baumwalker is pretty sick place to watch a baseball game. So is Swayze Field. Like, can you not just admit that all three are pretty cool and Alex Box has some history and go on with your day? Yeah. No, it's got to be a pissing contest this <laughs> time. So um, I am looking at my section that I have tickets, and the cheapest ticket is $65. I will sell tickets for Friday night for $60 if, uh, if anyone out there is listening. Got you a deal. Um, but, no, it's uh, – it's going to be a tough ticket. It's going to be a fun weekend in Oxford. I'm planning on going Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I guess if Ole Miss is, loses the first two, I probably won't go Sunday. I'll probably just be pissed off. But if they're planning to win the series or sweep, I'll go Sunday. Um, it be my first time to get up there this year. I hadn't been able to get up there this year, so I'm kind of excited about it. It'll, it'll be a good environment, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to find a series or two to come back to. It's a little bit di- more difficult when you factor I would in. come back to the state one for well, Super uh, Rubble weekend. I have, a dan- I have a bachelor party on the coast. <laughs> Uh, that's like a golf trip that weekend, double-decker as well. Um, on the off chance the, the the groom is listening to this, I'm not upset about going, but just, uh, you know, unfortunate timing. And that's it. I looked at that one. But um, Hey, you know what? Speaking of timing, I would like to give a shout-out to my sister who is getting married. Um, she decided she has been like – her heart has been set on having a fall wedding. Oof. So what she did for me was get married on the Saturday uh, after the Egg Bowl so I don't have to worry about missing an old Miss game. All-time all time, all time uh, character move right there. Okay, so that is a that is a great move, one, and that's bordering on being a winter wedding because – Fair enough. In technicality, and that, that's a – like if you want to do the fall wedding, I think that's the perfect compromise. Do it in November. That's the fall. But right after the Thursday Egg Bowl, I think that's probably the greatest time to have a wedding ever. Um, yeah. Unless no, it's, it's like it's, super it's, it's into a, the Iron extremely Bowl. unselfish move. I am I am really really proud of her. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great move. I mean, the only other uh, the only other way to do it is the bye week, but that that sometimes falls in conflict with like having to book venues and stuff like that that far out. You know what I mean? So like, I don't begrudge people if they're hell bent on having a fall wedding and they can't do the bye week. But can we not do? Ole Miss, Alabama, in St. Simon's <laughs> Islands, Florida. There's a buddy of mine that's probably listening to this, and that was a very specific jab. He knows who he's at. Yo, I forgive you this time. Your next wedding, not happening. Um, anyway. <laughs> oh, that's what, that's what I tell everybody if I have to come to your wedding. It's like, I'm only doing this once, so don't screw it up. <laughs> I'm just poking fun. They were very cool about it. It was a fun weekend. I'm glad I went. Um, but so – I've back up, backing up on track. So you mentioned um, Ole Miss. Uh, you mentioned probably not going Sunday if they uh, lost the first two and they are not playing to win the series. I think they will be playing to win the series on Sunday. I feel pretty safe about that. I won't go that they'll win the first two games. But this is going to be a test for Ole Miss, unlike anything they oh, faced yeah. this year. This is the toughest team they faced by far. Um, you look at Tennessee, there's an argument to be made that Tennessee is the best team in the country, and they're doing it all without their ace, Blake Tidwell. And if they get that guy back at some point this year, they could be really scary. But just your early impressions on Tennessee, I've been pretty impressed from the very little I've watched. Um, so, so if you look at Tennessee, if you just go look at their stats, you're going to be like, wow, they're extremely offensive. And they Shoot are. They're, one they're, weekend. Yeah, but they blew Iona out of the park for a weekend. Now, let's be very clear. That is a really good offense. But it's not the, you know, gorilla ball offense that the stat page looks like. Um they're a really good team. They're really going to hit it. Frankly, they're really going to pitch it. 
Um, I know that that you know that's the makeup of a good team. But they've got a Burns on Friday night, who's an elite elite guy that probably should have never made it to school. Um, and they've got guys on Saturday and Sunday that are pretty solid. Um, as Jack Washburn gives up a run. Um, oh my God. Um, but you know it's it's a team that man. The, if Ole Miss is to get out. If Ole Miss is able to get out of this weekend uh, with two wins, um, it's it's a it's a real feather in your cap because that is a team that I expect in Tennessee to be a national seed and, and to frankly be a high one. I think they're really really good. And frankly, when they get Blade Tidwell back, and I do I do think they expect him to throw at some point this year, they are going to be a force of nature. Um, Ole Miss has to do something about left field, by the way. Yeah, it's bad. You were uh, the uh, the oh my god in the middle of that was the uh, Alderman misplaying. And Ole Miss is kicking it around a bit as they're one one currently in two the, one. Uh, two one now. Yeah, there's two runs scored on. That. Oh, that kicked it around. That's right. It's the second run. I'm now slightly yes. behind you. So I mean, they're down two to one to Memphis there in the second as Washburn gives up a run. But you're right. So if they get Tidwell back, which I don't know exactly the extent of his injury, what it's not an elbow thing, right? It's a No, uh, I think it's some shoulder stuff, but I do think they expect him like they he's not on the shelf for the year. So uh he obviously is not gonna throw this weekend. Almost catches a break there. Um because he's really, really good. But I do think at some point this year he will take the mound for the volunteers. And when that when that I mean I already think they're probably a pretty high contender to go to Omaha, but that's kind of like I mean, look, you can't lock anything in in this sport, but, like, that that's a that's as heavy of a favorite to make it to Omaha as anyone. Would you not agree? Absolutely. And, and do you remember, like, what, four years ago when you get Tennessee on your schedule? And, oh, my God. Um, and it was just a – and it was just a win. Um, you know, you win two games, especially when you get them at home. And it's uh, it's not the case anymore. Tony Vitello's done a really, really good job. And, and credit to him, it's – uh, he's got a program that's, that he's sustained and is going to be able to, to compete for a while um, as almost goes down four to one to Memphis in the second inning. Yeah, not great. It's so, and, and I'm joking a little bit because, you know, it's frankly, Jack Washburn's got to pitch better, man, because Ole Miss needs him on the weekend, and he's just given up four earned runs to Memphis in 1.2 innings because he hit a guy and gave up a double and gave up a homer. It's, somebody's got to step up on this pitching staff. Hopefully, for Ole Miss's sake, it's Derek Diamond this weekend. Um, but they they got to be able to find a third starter. And, um, you know, I think their hope was eventually it was going to be Washburn, but he's not really helped himself tonight so far. Yeah, absolutely. Back to the Tennessee part of this, though. It's interesting. You mentioned that four years ago. I remember in 20 – I can't remember which year this was. I want to say it was 2018. May have been 16. But Tennessee came to Oxford. Ole Miss had a pretty good team. Ole Miss takes two out of three. But I remember writing that night. I think it was the opening weekend of SEC play. It may have been Ole Miss's home opener and was an opening weekend. But it's like this is a Tennessee team that's going to be better. It kind of felt very Alabama-ish where they're, like, on the rise. But how good are they? And we've talked a lot about in the last, I feel like, half decade or so about how tough a job that is, being in the same state as Vanderbilt, that recruiting ground where you're battling some of the ACC schools, South Carolina and Vanderbilt as well. What Tony Patel has done there is as impressive as uh, any coaching job in the country because that's not an easy place to win at, and they are a force now. Look, they're coming off the Omaha year last year, right? They beat LSU in the Super, and they're as good or better this year. I'm in as, as impressed with Tony Vitello as any job that anyone's done in college football – excuse me, college football, college baseball in recent memory. <laughs> yeah, no, he's done a hell of a job. It's uh, And it's not an easy job. You know, it's it's not a school that's littered with 
baseball money and, and not a, certainly not with tradition. And he's done a really good job. Good Lord. Um, done a really good job evaluating talent and, and, and getting guys in there that can play, man. And he, he retooled and reshaped that roster. And it's not like they're, uh, it's not like they're slowing down from a talent perspective there. You know, Chase Burns is a guy that uh, was a freshman and, and he's, he's continuing to recruit. Well, man, it's a, it's a really, really loaded roster. And frankly, uh, I, frankly, I, you know, I think he's got one of the best teams in the country this year. So is Ole Miss, is the face the toughest test so far they've faced this year, as I just mentioned a second ago. There, you mentioned as we watched Jack Washburn kind of fumble around here with Memphis. Ole Miss, I think, I think this will be a high-scoring series. And, of course, as I say that, it'll probably be 2-1, 4-1, and one nothing or something just because <laughs> of the way this goes from a content perspective. But I do anticipate this being a relatively high-scoring series. Ole Miss certainly has the offense to keep pace with Tennessee and kind of trade blows. But the difference is Tennessee certainly has the advantage on the mound, particularly from like an arm and I would say stuff and talent standpoint when you're comparing the two, whether it's weekend starters. The bullpen, I think Tennessee has some higher end guys that you're like, holy hell, they had the Ben Joyce kid that, you know, I, I know he made like the Twitter rounds. He threw like 103 a couple times last weekend. We're like, holy shit. Um, but I think they have a couple higher in arms. But I think from a depth standpoint, I would say it's somewhat similar without diving too far into what Tennessee has on the back end of their pen and stuff like that. But I say all of that to say this. Ole Miss is going to have to pitch it better from their starting pitching. They cannot pitch it the way they did against Auburn and expect to come out with the series win. And honest to God, if they do it, you know, particularly those first two games, you're going to look into you're going to look into Sunday like hoping hoping and trying not to get swept because Jack Doherty was the only adequate pitching performance last year. They're going to need too much better otherwise they're going to lose. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good way to put it. You can you can mask some things against Auburn because Auburn's not as good. Um, you go out there and your starters give you four innings and 2.1 or whatever and you're going to have some real problems this weekend. Um, it's a uh, it's it's step up time for especially Derek Diamond. I think John Gaddis is fine, but you know, Derek Diamond's man, he's gone from Friday to Sunday. There's nowhere else to go in the rotation. Yeah. Um, so it's uh it's he's it's put up or shut up time for him because you know, we we talk about Washburn not pitching well and, and that's true, but you know, if, if Derek Diamond does not pitch well this weekend, I, I don't know who the replacement is, but I, I venture to figure out that they uh I, I venture to say they'll find one. So that's probably a good place to start from the Ole Miss standpoint. We talked about this on Sunday, of course, because that was kind of the storyline from the weekend uh, that wasn't the positive one, right? Ole Miss goes and gets the job done at Auburn last week. But if you're looking at a negative storyline, it is certainly the starting pitching. We're, I wrote in Monday's newsletter right before I think this was announced, or this wasn't necessarily announced, but the, the midweek rotation that kind of tipped its hand to what the rotation would be this weekend was announced. And I wrote that it wouldn't stun me. I think the way I phrased it was, it wouldn't stun me if Diamond got another opportunity. It would mildly surprise me if it was in game two. And that ended up being kind of what happened. He is going to get another opportunity, but he is going in game three. So Ole Miss this weekend is going Gaddis, Doherty, Diamond. Your thoughts on this uh, Washburn results aside, I know we're watching him getting slapped around a little bit, but just going entering the week, were you a little surprised because I thought they might try to make the move and go with Washburn, but also I think they're holding out every hope that Diamond can be some sort of contributor because I think they really think they need him a lot. I think at this point, um, and, and you can tell me if you agree or not, I think at this point the reality is 
they they probably just trust Derek Diamond more than they trust Jack Washburn. And frankly, with the way Washburn has pitched tonight um, and some of his other outings, I don't think that's an unfair assessment. Um, I, I, I think – Look, Derek Diamond's been through some battles, been through some ups and downs. And, and look, I don't think he's picked particularly well much of this year. But, you know, um, Jack Washburn also hasn't pitched through an SEC season and, and has put up some some numbers this year that, uh, frankly, you know, aren't good enough from a walk perspective and, and that type of thing. So, um, you know, could you could you say, hey, there's, there's other options? Okay, that's fair. Um, but I really do think that – and, and maybe I'm wrong on this. I do think Mike values um, getting guys starts before he just puts them in an SEC game um, as a starter. You know, I don't, I don't think he just wants to take, you know, maybe a Riley Maddox or whatever and say, hey, you're a starter now when you've never started a game um, in college. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation, especially if Diamond doesn't pitch well. I think, look, it's best-case scenario for Ole Miss if Derek Diamond is able to hold down that Sunday spot. There, there's no doubt about that. So, um, if you're Ole Miss, you just hope he pitches well and hopes he's able to find it. And the thing about Sunday is, man, it's a different standard. You don't have to – you're not the guy that has to go give them six and one. You're the guy that, man, if you can give them five innings, give up three or four runs and keep them right in it, uh, you've done your job. So it's a, it's a diff- definitely a different standard that, that you're held to. And, and hopefully for Ole Miss's sake, he can meet that. And that's what I've kind of been saying the last couple of weeks is, like, look, if you're holding out hope for Diamond, it has to be as the Sunday guy. Like, I think what he's – what he's offering you in spots, whether that's against UCF or the start last week, like not on its surface, but I think what he can give you is good enough to get it done on Sunday. I keep making the Sam Smith analogy, but you're just kind of waiting for the blow up. And can that come in the fourth and can you get him out of there? Or can that come in the fifth and can, can you get him out of there before it's, you know, five, nothing. Like, can he get you through four innings? Can you get 12 outs from him? I think that's kind of the way you have to temper your expectations with this current version of Diamond. And I do think that is good enough to be this team Sunday guy. Um, because it, in that, like, aside from that, we've talked about it last week. I don't really know how else you use him. And Ole Miss is a little bit fortunate in the sense that Tennessee is entering this series without Blake Tidwell because you know who is going to be their Sunday guy if Tidwell was healthy? Chase Burns. The Burks, cats are on Friday. I was about to say, yeah, <laughs> the cat they're throwing on Friday who probably shouldn't have showed up to campus where Ole Miss would have been at a real disadvantage. So they're helped out there. Most Sunday guys Diamond is going to face against or game three guys will probably be kind of about like him in terms of expectations. I think you're right. I think that's best case scenario. The problem with Ole Miss is as it enters this weekend, Tennessee has two bona fide starters in Burns and Dollander on the first two days or pair of right-handers, you know, Burns is a guy that's going to touch upper 90s to 100, really good velocity. A little wild at times, but kind of a decent professional-looking demeanor. And then you've got Dollander, who's kind of your typical Saturday guy, mid-90s guy with the slider and a changeup. The point being is they have two established guys going on Friday and Saturday, and Ole Miss can't say the same thing. I don't think it's fair to call John Gaddis established, and it's certainly not fair to call Jack Doherty, despite the good results last week, and established. That's the part that's probably the most concerning. I think Sunday will probably be a wash, but what does it look like Friday or Saturday? Like, Diamond aside, I think the way Doherty and Gaddis pitch is going to be absolutely crucial to this series. So, uh, oh, God. Um, So, this is the first week where John Gaddis has to go be the Friday guy, right? Um, You know, necessarily next week, I I can't remember who, I think Ole Miss is at Kentucky next week. He doesn't have to go be a Friday night ace next Friday night when they go to Kentucky because Kentucky's Friday night guy isn't great. This is the game where 
he's got to go be the dude that keeps Ole Miss in it, gives them six innings and gives up two. And, you know, maybe when he leaves in the top of the seventh, Ole Miss is up six to one and they can get up, you know, they can get off on, on their bullpen. He's got to be that guy this weekend. And, and, and look, it doesn't always have to be like that. Um, like we've mentioned, there's not, you know, aces running out of the wazoo this year in the SEC, but this is the weekend that you get one. And um, I would expect that Chase Burns pitches well and, and is able to not, you know, I'm not going to say shut down, but I think I'd, I would, I think it'd be foolish to say that Ole Miss is just going to light him up the first few times through the order. It ain't going to uh, be last Friday, like last th- – excuse me, last Friday. Right. So, so John Gaddis has to go be that dude this weekend. And, and hopefully for Ole Miss, they, that he does. If he does, man, that's a really good sign for you going forward because if he can be your Friday guy, you really, really got something. Um, so it's, it's really that simple to me. I mean, it, it, you know, I think Doherty will pitch well. I think Doherty will keep them in the game. Um, I think he'll be that good Saturday guy that you need. It it's, comes down for me. It comes down to John Gaddis. He's got to go be that Friday guy this weekend and keep on missing the game and try to let him win a, probably a close, low-scoring game. Absolutely. And it's going to be fascinating to see. And I just wonder, you mentioned it like him being the Friday guy. Like this is the first real Friday guy Ole Miss is going to face. I thought Mason Barnett was okay, but this is going to be a step up. This is a, you know, probably a, not probably, I would say pretty likely a, uh, a future big leaguer in Chase yeah. Burns. And the weird part about like the way this Tennessee rotation is shaken out from a sheer number standpoint, and there's not a huge sample size on the kid, the Sunday kid beam actually has the best raw numbers. Now, granted, he threw a one hitter in seven and two thirds against South Carolina last week, had a huge right. lead. I don't necessarily know what to make of that, but all three guys have been pretty good. But sticking with it on Friday for a bit, I think you're right. Like Tennessee's going to have the quote unquote advantage on the mound in terms of like the power arm and the stuff standpoint. But can Gaddis go get you six innings of two-run ball and give you a chance? That, to me, is going to be the fascinating part of this because he's not going to be able – like Ole Miss, is, I don't think, was going to be able to recover in the same way if Gaddis throws a couple of center-cut fastballs in the first inning and Auburn – like Auburn did – like he did against Auburn in Tennessee right. four after two innings. Ole Miss is in a world of trouble, I think, if that's the case. Right. No, I agree with you. Uh, he's got He's got to go be that dude. Um He's got to be the guy that he was at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and obviously it's a step up for sure, but um, he's got to go be the guy that figures out how to get through this with six and two. Um, he's got to go be an ace. And, and you know, it's – look, we've said it, you know, Ole Miss doesn't have an established Friday guy on this team, but but this weekend they need to find one because um, if you go pitch and, – and it's not even – wow. It's not even if you pitch poorly. Um, it's if you don't pitch – well, like if you pitch average, um, you may be you may pitch yourself out of the game. If you pitch poorly, you will pitch yourself out of the game. So, John Gaddis has to take them out to be really, really good on Friday night. Yeah, he does. I think that's a great way to put it. And the kind of the same thing goes on Saturday. I actually feel. Do you feel more confident in Doherty's ability to match Burns, or do you feel more com? Or excuse me, I, I did that backwards. Do you feel more confident in Gaddis's ability to match Burns? or Doherty's ability to match the Dollinger kid? Because I would say it's the latter for me. Yeah, it's, it's the Saturday for me. It's, it's certainly Saturday. Um, just because Chase Burns has really good stuff. Now, let me say this. Um, we have seen some guys with really good stuff step on the mound at Swayze Field yep. and, and get hurt. Um, I saw Casey Mize do it three years ago, four years ago. And I just be clear, by get hurt, you mean get hit around, not literally. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, I saw Kumar Rocker do it last year. I mean, we have seen dudes cut step on the mound at Swayze, and it doesn't go well. This is a true freshman kid. 
So am I shocked if Ole Miss goes and tags this kid for five runs in seven innings or something like that? No. Um, but he's got really good stuff and can really give Ole Miss a problem too. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, but, no, I think if you said, hey, from a stuff perspective, what's the better matchup? I think it's definitely um, definitely on Saturday. That'll help, Gonzo. Thank you. Um, I think it's a great point um, from that standpoint as well because you're right. There have been some guys. This guy is a true freshman. And, look, with Tennessee, look, they're 20-1 and one props to them. But they're, they haven't faced a lineup like this, and they really haven't faced a murderer's I – and mean, let's be honest, they haven't faced exactly a murderer's row of a schedule. You're talking about a series against Georgia Southern. I think they die on a one where they scored a billion runs is the next one. They have a 7-2 loss against Texas. To their credit, they beat Baylor and Oklahoma in that minute made deal. But they they hadn't really played anyone else other than that. This is their first real test, too. I think South Carolina has a decent club. But, you know, you'd expected Tennessee to take at least two at home last week. And to their credit, they did and really kind of blew the doors off of them on Sunday. But Tennessee hasn't been tested either. And I think that starts with Burns on Friday night. To your point, this will be a stage he has not pitched on this year. It's a talented kid. You mentioned a guy that probably in a normal circumstances, non-COVID, maybe doesn't show up to campus. But this is his first environment like this. And, you know, the stage we just talked about, the you know, the sellout tickets and all that. I think that's going to matter, too, because it's not even just people getting on that stage that are inexperienced. Kumar Rocker was experienced. You know, Burns was yeah. experienced. It's Casey Miles was experienced. It's a lineup like that. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, the, the craziest one to me was, I watched him all year was Casey Mize because he did what Ole Miss struggled with and he stepped on that mound and did not have a good night. Um, and Chase Burns, look, he's an 18-year-old kid. Those folks in right field are going to be yelling at him. They're going to get on him before the game. He's probably never dealt with 5,000 people talking about his family members like it's going to happen on Friday night. Um, so it's it's a different deal, man, um, and we'll see what happens. I Look, can the kid go out there and shove? Absolutely. He's, he's got the stuff to be able to do it. I just, you know, it's just interesting because I've seen some really, really good pitchers step on that mound and, and not be able to handle the environment um, that provides itself in, in, in regular season matchups at Ole Miss. And I'll say this, too, um, and, and I'm sure we'll get into picks later. Ole Miss just kind of wins these kind of series, right? Outside of Arkansas last year, I think, you know, when they play these highly, highly ranked series, Ole Miss just kind of finds a way to win them. Um, and, and um, you know, so definitely a, an advantage, obviously, with them playing at home. Particularly at Swayze. And you talk about, like, a like – I remember last year, was the, wasn't the the Vanderbilt series right after the the um, Hoagland News became yes. the final? Yes. And that was a huge – you could argue it was the most important series it's win. Massive. I can't speak for them because I don't, I'm not around the team anymore, but I couldn't speak for them from a confidence standpoint. But I have to think that helped them confidence-wise to go out and beat Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter after you lose the first-round pick. I think this could work in the same in a much different sense. Well, similar sense, but different circumstances to where, I mean, look, these dudes are human. They know the starting pitching hasn't been up to snuff, and that's probably sure. the weakness on this team. If you go out and you pitch it okay and you beat two good pitchers like a Dollander or, and a Chase Burns, Granted, it being early in the year at home, I think that's a confidence builder for the team and probably this pitching staff as well. And I think that's the other important – If like, look, is it the end of the world if John Gaddis goes and actually does give you six innings and you lose a five to three game? No, but I think it could do wonders for Gaddis's confidence if he actually kind of goes out and gives you that six innings and gives you what you need and Ole Miss is able to capitalize on it. I think this – you could walk away having a pretty huge confidence boost 
boost from this pitching staff if this weekend goes well for him. Oh, that's absolutely true because, I mean, you talk about our confidence from a pitching perspective because I think the reality is Ole Miss isn't going to win this series if they don't pitch it well, at least some, right? Like, you can tell me, hey, Ole Miss won an 11-9 slugfest on Sunday. All right, cool. I can believe that. But I don't think you win this series without some semblance of a starting pitcher doing well. Um, I would be shocked if that were the case. So, um, like you said, if Ole Miss is able to win this series, you would think when they roll into Lexington, Kentucky next week, they have a lot more confidence and, and probably have more established roles um, when, when they head to Kentucky next week if they're, they're able to win too. Because, like, like we said, man, Tennessee's offense is really, really good. You're going to have to pitch it well if you want to get out of here with two wins. And here's the thing, man. I'm looking at Ole Miss's schedule right now. If you can figure out a way to get two this weekend, it You're really, really – it opens up. You're at Kentucky. You come home, you play Alabama. You're at Carolina, and you come home and play State. And all of a sudden, you're 18 games in um, before, you know, it gets a little bit tougher at the end. But, frankly, it really doesn't. I mean, you go to Arkansas, and then you come home and play Missouri. Um, you know, so this is the weekend, man. If you can get out of this weekend, you can really, really get on a roll. Agreed. And that honestly is the importance of last weekend, because if you think about it, I know we mentioned it on last week's podcast, but if you'd left Auburn, you know, losing two out of three and you got these dudes coming in, it's like, oh boy, like you could end up in, you know, a two and four, how one and five hold pretty quickly, which made, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of two sides of the same coin in that sense of like, that's what the importance of last weekend. But I agree with you on the other side of that. If this doesn't go well and Tennessee puts up a 10 spot and eight spot and whatever happens on Sunday, uh, I think it's only going to further underscore and exacerbate the problems they have on the mound. Like, I don't want to call this a March – I don't want to call a March series a make or break for the pitching staff, but it feels like this pitching staff could either gain a gigantic confidence boost or really get broken this weekend. Yeah. Because as we're watching the Jack Washburn thing right now, if this doesn't go well for – I mean, particularly Gaddis and Doherty and then whatever you make of Diamond on Sunday, what are your solutions at that point? You know, Yeah, that's the thing. Your solutions are freshmen and newcomers because um, it doesn't look like Jack Washburn has pitched well enough to, to earn a weekend spot. Um, you know, and, and I'm to the point, really, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that um, John Gaddis and Jack Doherty are going to, as Ole Miss takes the lead, um, are going to have to pitch on the weekends, whatever role it is. So you just kind of got to figure it out around that, if that makes sense. Um, so it, it's, you know, they can pitch, you know, not overly great, but at the end of the day, I don't necessarily see how you're going to go about replacing John Gaddis and Jack Doherty. I don't think you can. So um, you need them to pitch well because they're going to be on the weekends pretty much regardless, I guess is my point. Yep, and you mentioned it's up to newcomers. It's a fascinating dynamic, the diamond part of it aside, of Gaddis and Doherty, they've shown flashes, right? Doherty, I mean, Gaddis had the great start down at UCF. Doherty, you know it's there, but – I thought you made a good point a couple of weeks ago. He struggled against Oral Roberts, but it's like this dude's last two outings were 12 days apart, and he hasn't really been on a regular schedule since he got to Ole Miss. I think he actually made a comment about that in one of the availabilities he had after one of those starts. But, like, I think he's figuring it out as he gets on a regular schedule. But that's kind of my point. Ole Miss has two – I don't know if you'd call Doherty an older guy at this point, but he's not a freshman – but it's two guys that are kind of newcomers to the role that they're in. Like Gaddis has never been in a moment like this. I don't think he'll ever, unless I'm missing something that uh, Corpus Christi played in last year, will not have pitched in an environment like this. You have guys that you think can do the job right now on Friday and Saturday, 
that are still kind of trying to figure out the role themselves, which is a very strange dynamic. I can't remember the last Mike team that has been like this to where it's the guys aren't necessarily new to the program. Gaddis is obviously, but has pitched in D1 baseball before, but are trying to figure out these roles and are kind of completely new to them as well. I don't know. It just seems like an interesting way to place to be the last week or second to last week of March. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is, um, it's just what happens when you lose your, your, your top two guys and, and, Nikhazy and Hoagland um and you know you don't have that built-in replacement because you know you, you'd obviously you know over the time had hoped Derek Diamond would be that but just hasn't pitched well enough to to kind of take that role right now um so you're still trying to figure things out but it's like we said at the beginning of the year right um your offense allows you time to figure it out but w- when we said that like we we're like yeah the offense gives them time to figure it out well the offense is giving you time it's time to figure it out um so I think it's kind of imperative this weekend that some guys take the bull by, by the horns, pitch well, and, and kind of cement their themselves in, in roles for Ole Miss. Just looking at Tennessee offensively, some base-level offensive numbers, if you go do the whole SEC stats page and you look at the categories leaders, you're going to be like, who the hell are these guys? It's skewed from that Iona series where they scored 25 runs on two different occasions and like 70 for the weekend. Like Tennessee slugging percentage – is 150 points better, 153 points better than number two in the conference, which is Ole Miss. Look, this offense is good, but it's not what you would lead to believe on the stats page. And it's mostly strictly off one, not playing the stiffest of competition and, um, you know, having that one weekend. I mean, Tennessee has played – their one loss is to the one ranked team they played. Like, we were propping them up like they're uh, honestly kind of like Arizona last year in that sense. I don't know what the offense is. I think they swing it pretty well. They return a decent bit from last year. They have some talented pitchers, but – I just, I guess I'll reiterate that this is their first test too. But I guess to put one last pitching point on it before we hit some offensive stuff and then make our picks is the other part of this is I'm fascinated by is this will be one of the first, other than UCF, kind of the first stressful taxing weekend for the bullpen where I think you'll actually see kind of a bullpen game plan. It was weird that Ole Miss played in three games last weekend that weren't close and won two out of the three. I think this will be the first weekend that you see is it Hunter Elliott rally Maddox to get the game to Brandon Johnson on a Friday? And then if you have to burn Brandon Johnson for the weekend, now that Doherty's in your rotation, what do you do on Saturday if you're in another close game? Like Ole Miss didn't have to answer that question last week because the middle game became such a farce. And then they beat the hell out of them on Sunday and bludgeoned them. I'm curious to see what the bullpen looks like in terms of strategy and roles because Ole Miss really hasn't been in that scenario um, before. And when they were at UCF, Doherty wasn't in the rotation and granted he didn't pitch that weekend anyway but I'm just curious to see how that plays out can you get Brandon Johnson in there twice does Mike just burn the bullet and does he get you three innings on Friday if the scenario wants it I'm fascinated to see what happens after the starters as well yeah I think Brandon Johnson's a guy they talk about having a resilient arm I think he's a guy that that Mike feels like maybe he could throw three innings on Friday and then come back on Sunday and close the game if he needed to for sure. Um, what do you do on so, that Saturday, though, if you're in another close one? You know what well, I mean? Like, if you win, have a one-run game, like, I'm fascinated to see that. I don't know the answer. Yeah, that's where you turn to the kids and say, it's go time, boys. Um, you know, so it's where you turn to Hunter Elliott, Riley Maddox, and Dylan Delush and say, it's what we brought you here for. Um, you know, so it's, it's look, it's tough on freshmen in this league to pitch, but Ole Miss is at the point in their program. Um, where they just have so many newcomers that they're going to have to – It's the, here's the reality. They're just going to have to give the ball to newcomers in big spots and hope they produce. Like, we can sit here and say, 
you know, they're freshmen, you know, and it's tough to pitch in this league. And it, that's true. But Ole Miss is just at the point in their program where, you know, some guys that are that they had thought would develop and, and be the guys that they depended on maybe in these situations haven't really pitched well enough to merit being in these situations. And the reality, like I said, is you're just going to have to give the ball to the newcomers in big spots and really, really hope they produce. Yep, and you know, in arm, and I, we got a question about this. Uh, it actually was the result of an egregious omission that we had on the bar fight question that we'll get oh, to. Oh, that was awful. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so I guess we'll just get to that now. Someone pointed out that none of, neither one of us picked Tywin Malone as uh, who we would take behind us in a bar fight off this team. A hand up, just an oversight. I just didn't think of Tywin Malone. Like, I don't know why I, I was thought of that. Uh, probably because he's not on the field three times a weekend, but that was an egregious oversight on us. Not the point. I believe that man's follow-up was, have we gotten a Max Trophy update? And the only yeah, thing I can say to that is – I'm interested. I haven't heard anything about Max Trophy, but, man, that's an arm that at least with some experience that you would like to have this weekend. I think that's what Ole Miss is lacking, which, you know, depending on how these next couple weeks go and you get Trophy back healthy, that could be a serious shot in the arm to the bullpen. That hasn't been terrible by any stretch, but as you pointed out, it's a lack of experience. And I think that's a guy that's been in some wars that could really help them down the stretch. So if the bullpen can just kind of be good for a couple more weeks, you're going to get a little bit of a reinforcement, presumably. I don't know an update, but I do think they think he pitches at some point this year. Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. I do think they expect um, for him to throw innings for the Rebels this year. So – uh, not this weekend, obviously, but but they'll. Uh, I think they'll try to get him in at some point. Like like you said, he would be a really really big help uh, from an experience standpoint. Good race running by Elko there. Um, so you know it's it's just kind of the deal with the Tommy John. He's gonna have to gonna have to rehab and hopefully uh, by May you see him in in, in Ole Miss's bullpen rotation. Hmm. Can I throw a wild theory at you? Okay. The date is May. Or June second, Ole Miss is in game three. They're or their third game in a regional, and they're two and zero. Uh huh. Starter Max Trophy. <laughs> uh, it's not the worst starter in the world. Kind of happened with Myers last year to an extent. I know, obviously, he didn't start the game, but he essentially did. Did after McDaniel wasn't able to really get out of the first inning in Southern Miss. Um, no, nah, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. O- older guys got some experience, been around the program. I think it's what fifth year in the program, 18, 19, 20, 20. Yeah, fifth year in the program. Um, no, definitely wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if obviously he, he's healthy and ready to go. I just said, I, I don't, he has no experience starting. Like, honestly, he has. No, so- that is not true. He has started a game before. Do you know what game Max Trophy started? Trivia question. Oh, man. Okay, hold on. It's the worst loss from an RPI oh. point. In program history, he started South Alabama, North Alabama, North Alabama. Damn it, I didn't mean. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, he started the <laughs> North Alabama game. Yes, he did. Why? I don't know, but he did. <laughs> I don't know how they got, got the point either. I'm pulling. I had a. I'm going to make hundred percent sure, but I know I'm right. One of the very, very, very few things that I benefited from the pandemic was making South Alabama or North Alabama revenge game jokes for two years. Cause they didn't get the second one back. Yeah. Max Schofi went 3.2 innings, gave up six hits, five runs, two earned four strikeouts. Okay, well, Ryan Olenek pitched in this game. Oh, I, I, I remember one of the, I don't remember whatever it was the first time Olenek pitched and it went pretty well. We asked him after the games, like, that's pretty much what I expected. Um, like I, I figured, so I'm looking at the box score and I, I just know my emotions. When Ole Miss went up, went down seven to four in the sixth, I probably still thought they were going to win. 
And then they were down 10 to 4 in the eighth. I probably lost my mind by that point. It wasn't a great day for the mighty Rebels there. Um, Fun fact, there were 12,000 people at that game. I don't remember that many people at that game, but I'll take that. That's what the says. Uh, they, those suckers go up tickets sold, and props to them for doing that, but Jesus. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, whatever that first time was that Olenek pitched, he had moderate – like, he had pretty good success. And, he, and we were like, so that went pretty well, huh? He's like, I mean, yeah, like, what else did you expect? Like, I was going to get everyone out. Okay, dude. Um, one of the most brazenly confident guys I have ever come across. You get more confident standing in his uh, wake. Uh, anyway, um – Couple more things I wanted to get to for from the offensive side of it. This is going to be the best test the offenses face as well. And you talk about this offense being an advantage that no one else has in the country. You know, I don't think it'll be like last weekend, but like this offense, can they score six runs a game? Like, can you, particularly on Friday and Saturday, can you chase a Burns or a Dollinger in the fifth and you maybe you get three, four on him and then you add two more off of the bullpen versus? I don't think it's going to go – I mean, spoiler alert, I don't think it's going to go very well for Ole Miss if they're, you know, they've scored one run or two runs by the seventh or eighth inning each night. Like, the offense is going to have to be – I hate to say competent, but, like, they're going to have to be tough from a run production standpoint. I'm curious to see, like, on a scale of, um, you know, pitching – I guess what I'm getting at is I, they're going to have to be a lot better than they have been at times approach-wise, and I'm curious to see how they do that against two high-velocity top-end arms. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. It's uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. You've you got to figure out how to score runs off Burns, and you'd like to figure out a way to get Burns off the mound. Um, and, and you know, to Mr. credit, they, they don't swing at a lot of bad pitches, so they're going to force Burns into the zone. Here's the thing, um, and this is not the case with every SEC school, but it is a case, of, and I think it's more of a philosophy thing with Ole Miss, over, especially Mike Clement's tenure as the hitting coach, you can you can disagree with me here if, if you think, but Ole Miss has never struggled against velocity, and I think that really Ole Miss has a has a flaw, and it's more of this the two seam sinker ball type guy. Yeah, it's not a velocity issue, so I think Ole Miss is going to be able to handle uh, Burns from a velo perspective. It's just going to be is the kid locating on corners, the hitting spots, because if Ole Miss look, I think Ole Miss can put up some runs if this kid's just throwing 97 up there in the top of the zone, right? Um, it's does he land breaking balls for strikes? Does he hit corners? Does he hit in, does he jam guys inside? Um, I think that's the thing to look out for because I don't think Ole Miss is just going to get beat on pure velocity. I know I'm with you there. I think it's a very good point. And like, we keep talking about it. Like, again, we're like, I guess we're propping up Tennessee over and over again, but this is like, we, I don't know, feel like we know a ton about Tennessee in terms of just how good they are. Like, I think they have potential to be an Omaha team, but in terms of competition and who they played, they're 19 and one largely because of the schedule they played. Right. Again, I keep pointing out that one loss is Texas. Like I, I do think Ole Miss will have opportunity um, particularly as it pertains on the mound, to be pretty good. Like, do I expect Ole Miss to score nine runs in each game? No, not necessarily. No. But I do think they will kind of get after one of – th- I'll break a prediction. I think they get after one of them pretty good. I think they have one of these two first two kids by the fifth. Yeah, I do too. Um, yeah, I, I think – look, we'll get into predictions, I'm sure, here in a second. I think Ole Miss obviously wins one of the first two games um, because I think the offense is just too good to get held down. Um for two games, frankly. So, um, no, I'm with you. I, I think one of the two kids Ole Miss is able to get after and, and, and win baseball game and set up for a series winning opportunity on Sunday. 
let's get into the picks now. I think we just about covered it from, you know, a storyline standpoint. There's not really a ton else that sticks out from, like, Tennessee uh, – excuse me, from Tennessee standpoint. Like, there is no Landon Sims of a closer. That Ben Joyce kid throws a ton, throws a lot of innings, but he's not necessarily their closer, although he'd be wise to be – He doesn't pitch if they're not up by a lot. Yeah, which has been interesting because he has ten appearances. But you're right. I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily know what's up with that. That seems like a kid that throws really, really hard that they don't necessarily trust. But you know, yeah. he's pitched a lot. But that's also because they've blown a lot of teams out. You're right. He hasn't been in hardly any high leverage situations, which is uh, which is interesting. I wonder if we see him this weekend. I would. Uh, think if if we do, it's probably bad news for Ole Miss because again, they haven't pitched him in big situations. Yep, very true. I'm trying to get to D1 baseball scoreboard. I've got them pulled up. If you, I can call them out. Yeah, go ahead. Weekend series, you got to take the lead. All right, all right. Georgia at Kentucky. Georgia two. Georgia two. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Kentucky two. Okay. I don't know. I think the Cats figure out a way to get two. I don't think Georgia's great on the mound past their top two guys. Now Cannon's really good, but uh, whatever reason, I think Kentucky gets two at home. Alabama at Mississippi State. Ooh, this is a juicy one in like kind of a train wreck kind of way because yeah, state really really needs it, and Alabama doesn't need to start two and four. They kind of had a missed opportunity last weekend. Are they dead if they lose two out of three to uh, Florida and Mississippi State to start the year? Of course not. But like, an Alabama needs to kind of get off to a good start. <sighs> Maybe this is just Alabama's you know, the better team, but it's at Starkville. I'm gonna go Alabama too. Yeah, I think so, too. And maybe I'm crazy. Alabama's a better baseball team right now, but, dang, no, I'm going to go State, too. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Mississippi State, too. Uh, I, I feel like we both have uh, the same pick here. Arkansas is at Missouri. I'm going Arkansas three. I don't care if they play it in Missouri, Arkansas, Mars. Arkansas is going to win all three. Uh, I'll go further than that. I wouldn't care if, if Missouri got to throw one major leaguer and had 12 in the field. Arkansas three. Yeah, I don't care where this game is played. Uh, Vandy at South Carolina. I got I got South Carolina getting one. Uh, so Vandy wins two. I'm gonna go South Carolina two. I think they rebound, and I think Vanderbilt gets kind of punched in the mouth for the first time. You know, they lost two to Oklahoma State and haven't really been tested since they destroyed Missouri last week. I'm gonna go South Carolina rebounds and gets two. Okay. Um, LSU at Florida. Really good series there. LSU needs to win that. People get mad at how bad Ole Miss has been defensively. Have you seen the Mighty Tigers kick the ball around? I have not. I have not. They have been terrible defensively. Go look at some of their errors numbers, even in an inflated college baseball era. Error, era. Good God, that's a tongue twister. The era of dudes changing calls in the dugout. They have been very bad defensively. Their pitching has been okay. I would say offense close to advertised. They suck defensively, and it cost them at least one game in that A&M series last weekend. And they're not very good on the mound. No, they but they've been like I didn't expect them to be very good on the mound. They're no. about what I expected, maybe a little. Like I think they'll be about a five out of ten on the mound. They have kicked it around. I'm going to go Florida too. I don't necessarily buy LSU yet because that defense is rough. You know, I'm with you. Um, I was probably going to go LSU too. Do you convince me that they don't plug a defense? So well, no, I'll go, I'll go with SEC. You can't give extra outs like that. No, you know, no, no, you no, can no, afford no, no. to be okay on the mound, but don't don't give particularly a team like Florida the way they hit it last weekend. Good lord. No, I'm going to go Florida too. Auburn at Texas A&M. Ooh. Um, I'm going Texas A&M too. I, I don't think Auburn's a really great. 
I'll ride high with the momentum too. I'm going to go Texas A&M too, just because I don't think Auburn is terrible. And I'm not sure exactly what to make of that Texas A&M series last week. But hell, it's in Bluebell Park. They're probably feeling pretty good about themselves. I think that's a really good series and Texas A&M wins this close Sunday game. All right. And the final one, I'll let you go first. Tennessee at Ole Miss. People will be upset, but consider it a reverse jinx. I'm just until I see it on the mound from Ole Miss because I think these are two good offenses. I'm going to go Tennessee, too. Uh, I think the first two games are split, and I think whoever Tennessee throws – I say whoever Tennessee throws on Sunday, I think the beam kit is going to be better than uh, Diamond, and I'm not sure that's a whole Ole Miss recovers from. Again, I don't have a ton of confidence either way, but I'm going to go Tennessee, too, until I see it from Ole Miss. Yeah. I'm going to go Ole Miss, too, and the reason is I, – and, and, and let me say this. I think Tennessee, as of today, because they have a little bit more solidified on the mound than Ole Miss, is maybe the better baseball team. Um, but I think playing at Swayze Field matters. Um, I think I you're think right. It, you mentioned they have a knack of winning these series. Look, to me, this is a coin flip, but I'm, I'm just looking at it on paper and you look at the mound thing. We were saying two versions of the same thing. I'm with you, though. They tend to win these. Yeah, I just – I think it matters, especially maybe against a true freshman on Friday night. Um, I don't know how they're going to win it on Sunday if it gets to it because I don't have – you know, Derek Diamond's not instilled a whole lot of confidence. Um, but, you know, hopefully he pitches well enough to give Ole Miss a chance at the end. Because um, I, I, I think it'd be naive or, or very homerish to think Ole Miss is going to go into Sunday. And, I, you know, obviously I hope this is the case, but I don't think – Ole Miss is going to go into Sunday with a chance to sweep it. Um, so, Derek Diamond's probably going to have to go win a game for him to win the series. And, and well, he's going to have to pitch in a game where Ole Miss needs to win to win the series. And hopefully he's able to keep Ole Miss in it well enough to where Ole Miss can maybe get into the back end of the bullpen and, and trash it a little bit. Um, but for whatever reason, Ole Miss just kind of wins these series at home, and, and, and I'd be kind of hard-pressed not to take them. And another thing about that is we talked about the difference between Friday and Saturday in the SEC, and there's also a difference between both of those days and Sunday. Um, you know, Mike loves to do the whole energy Sunday thing, but, like, in a, in a sense that, like, as corny as that is, it, it can kind of make a difference because Sundays get really weird. And Derek Diamond was Ole Miss's Sunday guy in 2020 before the global pandemic uh, ended that season. And then he was the Sunday guy for Ole Miss last year. And, look, he wasn't great. But then he got kind of thrust into the Saturday role late in the year. I just wonder if he finds some comfort there. We talked about the Sam Smith element, and maybe this is perfect going. But I wonder if he finds some comfort being the third starter, and that ends up being a role that fits him. Maybe that's wishful thinking in the sense on Ole Miss's behalf. But I'm curious to see just how the role of the third starter versus the second, and then obviously him being the Friday night guy by default early in the year, kind of how that suits him differently. Because, like, the – UCF start. UCF pretty good offense for the most part of the year. They weren't great that weekend against Ole Miss. That start he had against UCF is viewed differently if it's in the third game, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, I'm so. curious to see just what that looks like with him on Sunday because, yeah. honestly, for Ole Miss's sake, it better be good or I don't know what they do. Oof. Oof. You want to you know some, some interesting thing that has happened tonight in this midweek game? What is happening? All right. So, Hayden Leatherwood, apparently David Kellum said he is out sick tonight. And Ben Van Cleve is in the lineup because of it. Ben Van Cleve is two for two tonight. Oh, do we get the first Ben Van – look, okay, if we're going to get the first Van Cleve homer – now, we're, it's, a, it's a bunch of right-handers this weekend. It's going to be three right-handers in front of starters. Yeah. So this is a yeah. Leatherwood-ish series. 
But, you know, if Leatherwood is still chucking up his dinner or whatever and Van Cleve gets it, he has warning track power, but could Mr. Burns push him over the top? He throws he so hard he can get it over the fence. See what I'm getting at? Do we get yeah. are we on huge Van Cleve watch this weekend? So, uh, on a serious note, McCants not in the lineup tonight. And I'll ask you because you, 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 I don't know, maybe you know more medical things than me. Him not being in the lineup tonight, that, that probably tells you it's not dehydration, right? Like, that would probably be fixed by what, Wednesday? Yeah, but is it, to, is it, again, that's another storyline to watch. I'm glad you pointed that out because I missed that when they, when Mike put out the lineup card today while I was looking at it at work. It probably does, but is there just a precautionary deal? Oh, no, no, I'm not insinuating he's not playing this weekend. I I just, no it's idea. probably not dehydration. It's a hamstring, and if it's not dehydration, then look, a hamstring's a hamstring. Like, playing five days later is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Like, I, I think that's very much up in the air if he's not playing tonight. I Maybe yeah. we get an update after we record this. Uh, yeah, that would, I would think that question gets asked, right? Yeah, so we'll we'll see, but I do think the fact that he's not in the lineup as we record this on a Wednesday night is significant because I think you're right. If it's just dehydration and it was nothing else, doesn't he probably play? Like he's probably not still dehydrated. He's probably got the clear piss now instead of the uh, instead of the yellow. The yellow. Yeah. What's up? You remember the piss chart that Texas put out? I do remember that. Oh God, I have to Google this now. Hold on, Texas football P chart. Um, but it was so, so he would probably have the yeah, it was like uh, they had championship hydration levels, uh, selfish teammate, blatant disregard for your teammates. You're headed to area 51. That is uh, Texas football's P chart. Wow. Um, what is like, like me on a Sunday morning after a deep night out? Is that like point shaving teammate? It's like, or is that just my god, what color is this? You're the teammate that runs the wrong, the wrong direction. Uh, yeah, with the like, <laughs> mine is, should we kick him off the team, teammate? But that's why I don't play D1 athletics. <laughs> that's the reason why you don't play D1 athletics? Yeah, that is, that's the only reason. I can't say hydrated. <laughs> that's, as, that's as good a place as any. It's in today's podcast. This has been the Rippy Rights P Chart Podcast. This is P Chart Correspondent Colin Brister. We'll catch you again on Sunday, my man. All right, buddy. All right, that was Colin Brister. Appreciate his time as always. I'm looking forward to this series. You got a Saturday night primetime game, I believe. I'm assuming that's going to be on SEC Network. I don't think they've moved to where they do the main two ESPN channels yet. But you've got two night games in what should be a series that one will be a lot of fun to watch. Should be good, high quality college baseball. And uh, you'll learn a lot about Ole Miss this weekend, I think. Um, you know, can this pitching add up? Like, can this pitching square up? Can they bash their way past anyone in the country? Because I think if they can – look, it's only one weekend, but I think if they can square up, even with the issues they have on their mound with a team like Tennessee, they can beat anyone in the country. Colin said it a few times. You can bash your way to Omaha, but, you know, pitching can't be a disaster. So, anyway, I think we'll learn a lot about them this weekend. I'm looking forward to watch this series. Let's get to your mailbag questions before we get out of here. How about that? It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday is returned once more. We had a terrific uh, Mailbag Friday turnout. I don't know what got into you people. Maybe you're just feeling the, uh, feeling the spring weather. March Madness coming up. I don't know why that would make you more likely to send a question in on Twitter, but just go with it. It's about 530 in the morning my time, and I'm just rambling. All right, let's start off with a uh, practical one. Would you rather fight an ostrich or a kangaroo? Okay, seems pretty simple here. I think I'm going to go kangaroo. 
I'd be lying if I said I spent a bunch of time um, in the film room studying tendencies of the ruse and ostriches. I, uh, I'm a little unfamiliar there, although if the animal thunderdome ever comes upon us, I will be fully prepared. Just ask my coworkers at work. I keep trying to warn them about this every week. The animals are fighting back and it's just, you know, you're talking about a, uh, wars around the world. The war we're not talking about on our home soil is, uh, the animals versus us. Have you seen the, the bear that just won't be, will not be denied, keeps breaking into houses. Apparently he just cannot be shot. I don't really understand that one, but uh, scary times out there. Anyway, back to the question. I think I'm going to go kangaroo um, because I've always heard kangaroos, like it's the whole deal, like, yeah, they look cute or whatever, but they're not friendly. They're really annoying and they'll kick you and bite you or whatever. Where I've just heard that, you know, ostriches are just vicious beasts. I think they're like deadly assassins. I'm pretty sure an ostrich can kill you way faster than a kangaroo. Um, we'll get the uh, we'll get the uh, scouting department on that. I don't know really know how an ostrich kills people, but I've always been told they're deadly. Yeah, I'm googling it right now. We put is an ostrich deadly into the Google machine, and the scouting department came back. Yes, they if they're cornered, they can deliver kicks capable of killing lions and other large predators, and their slashes. It kicks and slashes. Sounds like they got pretty sharp uh, claws or talons, whatever you want to call it. Shout out Napoleon Dynamite um, on there. They can kill humans and lions. So yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the kangaroo because I don't think he's going to slash me with his, uh, with his feet. I think kangaroos do kick you, but I don't think it's going to kill a lion. Uh, I think lions kill kangaroos. Anyway, so they can run up to 72, 45 miles an hour too. So yeah, I'm going to go away from the ostrich. The first like four articles that come up are why they're one of the world's four deadliest birds. Um, so congrats on being on the Mount Rushmore of deadliest birds to the ostrich community. I'm going to stay away and I'm going to take my chances in the ring with a root. There we go. Off to a flying start on this mailbag Friday as we keep skipping around. Brent Ferguson checking in here. Uh, congrats on matching, by the way, pal. I saw all those matches the, uh, over the course of the last week. That was cool to see, see where people end up. So congrats on that. Um, I hope you're my doctor one day. Actually, I hope I don't need you anyway. Um, because that, that would be a problem, I feel like. Let's see. Oh, if you had to embrace one, embrace full fandom of one of the Dallas professionals teams, season tickets, buying jerseys, et cetera, which team is it and why? This is a good question and actually something that I, I wouldn't say I'm in the process of doing, but I have explored the idea of buying one of those quarter to half star season ticket packages and splitting it with the friends. So I think my answer is going to be the Dallas Stars. My reason for that is uh, I grew up in baseball as a Cubs fan. I like professional baseball now. My Cubs fandom has all but died out, just kind of the way it went. Uh, I, I don't know if covering Major League Baseball for a summer had anything to do with it, but I just like watching baseball. I really don't like get invested in a team. I thought the Braves were a cool storyline. I'll kind of pick one to get behind in the playoffs each year, but um, I'm not buying extra innings to watch a specific team, I guess is my point. So I, I'm, I'm not out on the Rangers. I love the games, but it, I have a hard time seeing myself getting fully emotionally invested in the Rangers. Kind of the same thing with the NBA. I love watching the NBA. I love that I can go, you know, last minute, depending on who's in town, go watch Luca. probably one of the six best players in the NBA right now. Certainly one of the five best young players uh, in the NBA right now, under 25 years old. Uh, at a whim's notice, that has been pretty cool. Uh, the Mavs are good. That helps. But I just, I've been to like five or six Mavs games and like, I don't, I don't see the, emo maybe I just got to give it more time, but like, I don't really have an emotional pull towards the Mavs. I think it's cool. Um, honestly, I think it's cool watching some of the other stars come through. I saw Joel and Bede a while back. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think I can get the maps. I think my answer is the stars. And honestly, it's probably because I know the least about hockey and I enjoy going to the games, just kind of watching the action, watching the violence and 
if you made me like get emotionally attached to one, I'll just go with the stars because I think you get like the twofold adventure of learning about another sport as you get invested in it. And it's kind of affordable um, in terms of the, uh, in terms of like the uh, half season, quarter season ticket packages, uh, which is something I was saying earlier, we definitely looked into and I think might pull the trigger on for next year. So stay tuned, might become a full on hockey guy and hockey sweaters are sweet and the stars have a cool logo. That's really all the reasons you need. So I think I'm going stars. You could have convinced me for FC Dallas, but I just haven't gone to a game yet. I think that stadium's out in Frisco. I could be wrong about that, but I just haven't gone to a game yet. But soccer, honest to God, as a soccer corner just continues to surge in the ratings, uh, we I could be, co be convinced to become an MLS guy. Although I don't know if I could wrap my brain around that. I'm trying to figure out the English Premier League. I don't know if I could do the inferior American League at the same time. So I think I'm going to go hockey. That's definitely the, uh, the team I would – uh, wrap kind of my uh, arms around, as you put it, buying jerseys, whatever. So I'll uh, I'll go the Dallas Stars, although I did grow up a Preds fan, and that feels traitorous, but, you know, whatever. Win in Rome type of thing. So I'm going to go Stars. And then I honestly <laughs> left out the Cowboys, mostly because those tickets are so expensive. Like, I, copywriter salary buddy uh, with, uh, with the podcast on the side is not getting me Dallas Cowboys season tickets. And NFL is kind of the same way. I'm a Titans fan. I don't let it ruin my day when they lose. I love watching Red Zone. I love watching the NFL. And honestly, I wouldn't want to go to the Cowboys games every week because I'd want to sit on my couch and watch Red Zone and, like, screw with my fantasy team and all that. So Cowboys are definitely out. I just don't see their emotional attachment to the Rangers and the Mavericks. Maybe that changes. You know, I've lived here about a year and a half going on two years. Maybe that changes with time. But uh, I think if I'm going to go, uh, go head first in, go in Dallas Stars. So there we go. Let's see. Major League Idiot checking in here. These internet names continue to just amaze me. But thanks for tuning in, Major League Idiot. Here we go. If Derek Diamond was taking out of the starting rotation and there was a couple more injuries that made five put him in the lineup. So you're talking about him. I, and I shorthanded the other night. Derek Diamond, uh, was he in left field or right field? Honestly, I tuned out of that game by that point. Just doing some stuff around the house. Not important. Anyway, back to the question. If some other injuries made five put him in the lineup and he had a 275 batting average, two home runs, and 25 RBIs the rest of the season with a 365 on base percentage and an 833 OPS. Okay, so you got specific here. Derek Thyman, rest of the season, regular outfielder, two home runs, 25 RBIs, 365 on base percentage, and an 833 OPS. Would that make him a good option as a position player in the 23 season? Um, yeah. I mean, if that, if that actually – look, I, I, I'll go out on a limb here and say I don't envision this happening. I don't think you do either. I think you were just throwing out a hypothetical. But, yes, because I'll answer it in the simplest sense. Have you seen who they're bringing back next year versus who's probably going to go? I mean, you just go through it. Chatagnier probably gone. You get Jacob Gonzalez for another year, so he's back. You're losing probably Kevin Graham. You're probably losing Justin Bench. Kemp Alderman, I, I, I really honestly have no idea. I'd have to sit down and think about that one a little bit more. I would imagine he doesn't go anywhere. Hayden Dunhurst gone, Tim Elko gone. Point is, they lose a lot of guys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, could you use a 275 batting average, 833 OPS with a couple home runs and 25 RBIs in a sample size of what? They probably have 30 games left? Yeah, 30-something games left? Uh, yeah, I would say they could use that. So, the answer is yes. The Whether that happens or not, I'm going to lean – 
No, but I don't think that was the purpose of your question. It's an interesting hypothetical based on Derek Dobbin playing an inning or so of left field in a, uh, in a slog of a midweek contest. All right, Kyle Wilson checks in here. Who is on the hottest seat in the fall, Leach or Harson? This is an interesting question if you want to overthink it, which is exactly what we do on this podcast. We overthink things. The easy answer is Harson. Because, I mean, my God, they tried to fire the man in February. Can your seat get any hotter? But I think we all know where this is going with Harson, right? Like, does it count as a hot seat when it's a predetermined outcome? Like, is it a hot seat when you already know you're going to be fired pretty much no matter what? Like, yes, if Harson goes 12-0 and and wins the national title or 11-1 and makes the playoff, will he be fired? Um, No, but does anyone see Auburn doing that? And I think anything short of that – Maybe there's a way they go 10 and 2 into an access bowl, and like people tend, seem to wrap their arms, and by people, I mean the Auburn Mafia wraps their arms around him a little bit more. But that doesn't seem realistic. I mean, look at Auburn's roster. Does any of that seem realistic? So, like, does it count as Harson being on the hot seat when you know exactly what is going to happen? Look, if you at your job, at the end of the year, your boss tried to fire you, like your bosses or however the power structure at your company works, they tried to fire you. Uh, and not pay you the rest of your contract. They tried to get you with cause and then became this somewhat public, you know, kind of uh, shit show within the company for the lack of a better phrase. But then they couldn't really find grounds to fire you without paying you the rest of your contract. So they just said, oh, never mind. Sorry. It was just a misunderstanding. Like that next year when your performance is up for review again, or it becomes that time firing season, however your job works, do you like your odds of staying? I don't think so. So does it count as a hot seat? I, like if it's, if it's that, if it's that cut and dry, um, if it doesn't, then obviously the case, uh, the uh, answer here is leech, but I, like, what is the hot seat for leech? Like, I understand like the state fans, they hate losing to Ole Miss. I don't think Ole Miss's success, uh, you know, at the simultaneously with Kiffin has helped leech at all, but like they went seven and five or what do they go? Yeah. Seven and six, seven and five, whatever this past year. Like if leech goes, eight and four, whether he wins the Egg Bowl or not, it being an Oxford this year, like he's probably back. If he goes six and six, is he really getting fired after three years? Maybe with the loss to Ole Miss, but I, I just don't see it. So like, I'm going to go Harson either way, although Leach needs to be better next year. They need to take a step forward and kind of, I would say, threaten a little more in the West there than maybe winning the games they're supposed to win and, uh, you know, a single upset at A&M uh, last year. But anyway, that, I'm rambling. I, I think the answer is Harson, But Leach does have some pressure on him this year. I don't want to dismiss that part of it. I just – following like a four and eight year, I just don't see how you fire Leach after three seasons when he's, you know, been bowl eligible last year. And they seem to be building it in the right direction. So, anyway, I think the Leach is more of like what is the ceiling here and at what point do you get tired of going six and six, seven and five once you realize that's probably the ceiling with the occasional nine and three year mixed in. But do you real like how do you get tired of that ceiling after three years considering where where you are in the SEC West hierarchy? So I don't think state can be in the business of firing guys after seven and five seasons, uh, unless it's an extenuating circumstance like Joe Moorhead, which a lot more was going on there. So I think there is pressure on Leach next year, but Harson's seat, red hot, unless it's already just cooled because he's a dead man walking. Anyway, weird internet names checking in here. With the SEC using TrackMan data to evaluate umpires after the, after the games this season, do you feel like the zones are tighter in conference play? In my opinion, so this is you adding your opinion after it, not me. All right, here we go. In my opinion, a tighter zone hurts Ole Miss as our pitchers rely on the borderline calls to put hitters away. Thoughts? I don't know if I necessarily agree with that last part because 
a tighter zone also means Ole Miss is going to draw more walks offensively. And if you watch this team this year, they don't swing at bad pitches. So if it's a ball, it's a ball. I mean, how many times in throughout the season have you seen an Ole Miss rally get killed because of Kevin Graham or a Hayden Dunhurst or Jacob Gonzalez? Those are just three guys that I named off the top of my head that have really good uh, discipline and vision at the plate. How many times have you seen them like take a pitch that was probably a foot off the outside corner, get rung up and leave a couple man on base because the umpire stopped? I think that's probably going to happen less with all of this and certainly happen less in conference play when you get better umpires. I think that's the probably more of the product of the zone being tighter. Your, uh, your previous assertion. I don't think it necessarily has much to do with the track man thing. Um, I don't really know what to make of the track man data. I haven't read a whole lot about that. I don't know if there is much to read about it. Um, I don't, on the surface, it doesn't sound like a bad thing. You know, people always want accountabilities for umpires and you know, how far does that go? Um, I think there is certainly ways to create more accountability for officials and umpires in sports, but like how far do you want to go with that? Like you can make the argument that you know, strike zone is somewhat subjective. I know people don't want to hear that, but it is, it's not the same for you know every person, every batter, even every umpire, as long as it's consistent. I don't think there's a problem uh, in baseball just in general that goes for college or pro I know people are clamoring for robot home plate umpires I guess I could see it I guess I could hear an argument for that but point being you just want the zone to be consistent and so if does this trackman data and holding them accountable make their strike zones more consistent and make them better umpires maybe if it does great if it doesn't yes back to the drawing board and try something else so I don't know what I think about the trackman like the use of the trackman data but as far as it hurting Ole Miss's pitchers I don't think that's the case. I think they just need to be better pitching, like learning how, like better pitching, not necessarily meaning like finding the strike zone. I just think they need to figure out how to put hitters away, kind of develop some better stuff. I don't think it's the tighter strike zone that's killing all this at all because they're not walking a ton of people. You know, some guys are. You could go down the list and be like, what do you mean this guy's walked X amount of people? Generally, there's problems as a pitching staff is not really walking dudes. It's the inability to put away hitters and throwing it over the middle of the plate way too often. Anyway. All right, Tyler Fitch asks, here's, submits a question here. What do we got? Oh, you're on a road trip with all, SEC, all seven SEC West coaches. You're driving. What's the rest of the seating arrangement? I'm assuming this is football. If it's baseball, I'm going to go ahead and put Bianco in the trunk. Uh, no, never mind. I'm not going there today. Uh, I'm assuming this is, uh, this is football. Um, let me see. So seven SEC West coaches, I'm driving. I'm going to put – Sabin and shotgun. Why you say you got to deal with Sabin for however long you're going on this road trip? Well, he's going to pull up the GPS for me. He's going to get us exactly where we need to go. And the dude in the front seat can kind of be the adult in the room, a little bit removed from the shenanigans going on in the back seat. Uh, if you've ever been on a college spring break road trip or something of the sort, just a road trip while you're in college, we'll get Sabin removed from that because you know we don't uh we don't, uh, we don't want him freaking out an hour into the road trip because, you know, Mike Leach has pulled something funky out of his pockets that might get them in trouble. I'm not putting words in anyone's mouth or stereotyping here. I'm just saying. We all know that guy that kind of pulls out something questionable on the road trip. It's like, sure, sure, sure we should be driving with that. Anyway, uh, we'll put Nick Saban up at the front. He'll get us where we're going to go. I'm going to put hmm, – I'm going to put Leach in the, one of the captain's seats in the uh, either the back left or the back right. I'm not going to put him in the third row. He'd be a fun hang in the conversation. That guy in the second row, it's always good to converse with if you're driving. Uh, third row is kind of hard to have the car-wide conversation all the way back there. Need a good guy that's going to throw some off-the-wall comments, provide some nice commentary, and 
you know, say you're driving out to Colorado. Can you imagine Leach just live commentary if you're driving through you know, the windmills of Kansas or Nebraska or something or just a bunch of corn in Iowa? I don't forget how you go out to Colorado. It's been a while since I pulled one of those trips. Um, but that would be a nice, a nice addition to it. Um, you know, hopefully he would fall asleep after a while. I could feel like that could get annoying after a while. And then uh, who else would – SEC West head coaches, I'm just going through it. Real quick, there's really no one else that interesting. Um, who else would I put in the other sh- captain's chair? I'm not going to go Kelly. I'm certainly not going to go Harson. Who am I missing? Jimbo, he talks too fast. I think I'm just going to Sam Pittman. Guy seems like a fun hang, cool dude to drink a beer with. Um, probably manning the cooler there in the middle row there. I think yeah, I would put Sam Pittman on cooler responsibility for the road trip. I think he would disperse the snacks pretty well. So I'm going to go Sam Pittman there. And then I'm just going to throw the rest of the dorks in the back. Jimbo Fisher, not really interested. You can go to the third row of the seats, pal. Same with Brian Kelly. Um, who else am I? Oh, and Brian Harson. Yeah, think about those three in the back. So you'd probably have to break up a fight after a while, but it would be entertaining. So if I ever want to find myself on a road trip uh, in, with the SEC West head coaches where I have the autonomy to uh, tell them where to sit, I am, uh, that's probably the way I am going. So appreciate the question. Always good for a, uh, a super realistic hypothetical on Mailback Friday. The LFG shirts chimes in here. I don't even think this is a question. Well, yeah, it is a question, but it's more so a comment. Is St. Andrews the Vanderbilt of Mississippi high schools? Yes, certainly when it comes to the MIS, because I don't even think they're technically in the MIS. I think they play public school sports. Um, but yes, I would say that's a terrific comp. I really don't have anything to add to that. Um, Kevin McGee says prep. He responded to this. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, no, I'm sticking with St. Andrews. St. Andrews is definitely the Vanderbilt of the MIS. How about that? Evan O checking in here. Why and when also how? Have fun with these. Love the pod. Uh, what was your state of mind when sending these in? Anyway, uh, I don't know. Life's unanswerable questions, but thank you for stopping by, Evan O. Peyton Box, here we go. Back to baseball, putting it on the rails a little bit. Why isn't Brandon Johnson in the conversation for a weekend starter spot? Last week, our best pitcher threw one consequential inning in a series that Ole Miss didn't sweep. Hey, you have a point there. Completely valid point. I think that was probably um, why Jack Doherty went, partially why Jack Doherty went into the rotation. Remember, they won two out of three down in uh, down at UCF, and Doherty didn't pitch because there wasn't a scenario that really warranted it. You know, if, I imagine if that – if Ole Miss had taken a lead in that Saturday game, um, the one nothing game they lost, you might have seen him come close it out, but you couldn't find an inning for him. And, you know, he's one of your two best arms on the team. So, like, what, you know, that's not exactly getting the most out of your guy there. So, I think that's partially why Doherty went in the rotation. I think the hesitation to bring Brandon Johnson into the rotation is twofold a little bit. One, you don't want to lose your best arm at the back end of the bullpen because, you know, look, you've had Riley Maddox throw well. You've had – Mason Nichols throw well in spots. You've had Herner Elliott throw decently well in spots, but all three of those guys are true freshmen and haven't necessarily really been in that moment before. And I know Brandon Johnson is relatively inexperienced on his own, but at least he has some, some, uh, some scar tissue, right? I mean, he did pitch a decent bit last year, particularly in the second half of the year, and he's an older guy. But point being, I think he's probably their best power arm, and I think there's probably some real hesitancy to remove him from the back end of the bullpen because robbing Peter to pay Paul is not the analogy I'm looking for here, but it's early in the morning and I can't think of a better analogy, but like you're 
you're just taking one, you're taking a solution to maybe one potential problem. And if you put them in the rotation, it becomes another potential problem. Like say you go Doherty, Johnson, Gaddis, and you know, now you got three guys that can give you five, six innings consistently, but you can't hold a lead late. You know, have you seen that movie before that looked like last year for Ole Miss? So I think that's probably the hesitancy, but you do have a point. Look, if this starting pitching continues to, you know, be an app like it was last weekend where what they had one guy reach the fourth inning. That's not going to win a ton of SEC series. I think it has to be in the cards. I think it has to be in consideration. Now, look, at the same time, last year, last week's series was a little bit weird, right? They win two out of three. They didn't sweep. You're right. But like all three of those games were not close games. Like they weren't decided, you know, seven runs, you know, Ole Miss loses by 14 and then wins by 13 runs. That's like, that's kind of unusual. I know they're going to have more games like that because of this offense, but that's kind of an unusual way for an SEC series to go. So I think it was more of a, uh, I think that was more of just kind of a uh, weird scenario more so than I think that becoming the norm where Brandon Johnson doesn't come into a lot of SEC games. I just don't see that being the case, but you do have a valid point. I do think if the starting pitching doesn't work out, or continues to, you know, I guess, operate at the level it currently is, I think you have to consider it. But I think Ole Miss's best option right now is, and we'll see, you know, by the time some people are listening to this, this may be outdated if Gaddis doesn't pitch well, you know, on Friday night, as in tonight against Tennessee, then, you know, this answer may be completely different. But I guess for right now, you probably feel okay about Gaddis, right? You know, he and Doherty feel pretty good about both of them. It's a work in progress is the trade-off to put Brandon Johnson in the rotation versus whatever Derek Diamond offers you on Sunday worth what you're giving up potentially on the back end if you can't get outs? I don't know the answer to that. You may be right, but I think that's probably the hesitancy. I think they want to hold out hope that this rotation can figure it out with Gaddis and Doherty and then Derek Diamond just give you something on Sunday. I've said this a thousand times on the podcast, probably in the interview with Kyle and you listened to earlier a couple times more. I think what Derek Diamond can offer you on Sunday can be enough. It feels very Sam Smith-ish. And I think that's Ole Miss's best case scenario. So I think that's why it hasn't happened yet, but it's something they're going to have to consider. Appreciate the question. What is the best game show and why is it Family Feud? Hmm. This is going to upset some people, but I've never really watched a game show. Never been a huge game show guy. When I was in college, the fraternity house, whatever reason, always had was that Price is Right? Yeah, I think it was the Price is Right. And people got really into it. I just never understood the appeal of game shows. Like, it, or I'll say it this, put it this way. It was never my cup of tea. I guess I understand the appeal. They're obviously wildly popular. I'm not about to sit here and do my least favorite internet content of all time, which is where the person gets on, says, oh, that very popular thing that you like, here's why it sucks and why you shouldn't like it and why it's actually bad. Love those people. Tons of them out there these days. I've never understood the whole, I don't like something. Here's why you shouldn't like it either. So I'm not going to go anti-game show. We will not become an anti-game show podcast here. It's just not really my cup of tea. I understand the appeal of the popularity, I guess, because you know, it's been around for quite a while, made a bunch of people a ton of money. Um, but I am not the right person to ask about this. I am not well-versed in game shows. Uh, what was that? Double Dare 2000? Uh, I think that was – does that count where you get – like the families would do it back on Nickelodeon and then you got like slimed if you lost? That's probably the last game show I've watched. So I'll go with that. What, what was the name of that? can't remember that show. Uh, I'm about to look this up right now. This is great podcasting. Yeah, Double Dare. I think that's what it was called. Wow. Johnny One Take. How about the recall on this guy's brain? Yeah, so that's probably the last uh, – that's probably the last game show I've watched. There's some people in their mid to late twenties are going to like 
feel that reference in their bones and then other people are going to be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? So anyway, I'm not the uh, right guy to go with the game show. Let's see. The Real West 2 checking in. Anything you've heard here on spring practice? Um, yeah, guys are in the best shape of their life. The offense is the same one they ran in high school. Team's coming together really well. This coaching staff is really gelled. I'm just throwing out cliches. No, I haven't heard a lot. You're only four days in. Um, and I'm not around the program every day anymore. So, um, you know, I'm kind of getting the same type of information you guys are in that sense. No, nope, I haven't heard a lot. But I'm interested to see kind of what storylines emerge from it. Brody Clayton checks in. Is Ole Miss a top five baseball job nationally? No, no. That, they're not even top five in the SEC. That's the misconception with a lot of people with this whole Bianco thing. Look, I'm not going to get into the whole Mike Bianco defense versus anti-Bianco thing today. I think that's a conversation that, unfortunately, is probably going to be had at some point this year, uh, as it, it seems like it has been every June for the last half decade. But the misconception on what this Ole Miss baseball job is is, is part of what I think creates the uh, – the disconnect when having the, the that debate and the two sides of that conversation. Ole Miss is definitely not a top five baseball job nationally. They're not top five in the SEC. Let's see. You could go LSU, Vanderbilt, Arkansas is certainly better. I'm trying to go through it just out loud. Um, I guess you could go Georgia because they do have a lottery program. No, you could definitely go Georgia. Florida, that's five already right there. You know, I'll hear an argument. Oh, A and I'll hear an argument for AM. I don't really know enough about their scholarship program. Again, with the scholarship imbalance, that's partially what knocks Ole Miss out of the top five so quickly. Mississippi State is a slightly better job than Ole Miss. I know people don't want to hear that, but they get a little bit more money, a little bit more scholarship flexibility because some of the stuff, and look, I'm not an admissions counselor, but I've looked into it before and have had people that would know explain it to me. They get a little bit more help on the scholarship thing Got a little bit more of the quote-unquote tradition that people like to use as a reason to replace Mike Bianco. So Ole Miss is like the seventh, eighth somewhere best job in its own league. So certainly not top five. And that's not counting the, you know, a couple of the West Coast gigs, Texas, um, you know, the, a couple of the other marquee college baseball jobs out there. So it's, no, certainly not a top five job nationally. Not a bad question, but I think that's also something people tend to maybe intentionally forget or intentionally um, omit when they're maybe making a point about being anti-Bianco. I'm not about to go on a pro-Bianco rant, as I just said. It's just something to consider and always find the disconnect interesting. Ole Miss, certainly not a top five baseball job nationally. Justin Bush, what is your go-to broke 20-something meal? Um, I don't know, man. This podcast is crushing it. I haven't eaten uh, cheap food in a while. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> – I, uh, I don't know. I was always a big ramen guy. I like the spicy chicken ramen. I know that's really cheap. I would never, honestly, I, like, I, I would be lying if I never said I ate, I said I never ate ramen in college because I was broke. That's not a fair statement. I would say I ate ramen sometimes because I actually thought it tasted good. It wasn't even always a money saving mechanism. So I'll go ramen if that counts, but checking out the fast food value menu options these days, the four for four at Wendy's, McDonald's got the dollar menu. You can, you know, you know, broke five bucks. You you rub together a five spot. You can eat. You can eat like a king at some of these fast food restaurants these days. So, uh, I would go that or ramen. Antonio Batista asked. Uh, he checks in with the question here. Betting odds on Lane throwing a strike tomorrow for the opening pitch. Congrats, Ole Miss, for the easy layup troll job. I don't mean this sarcastically. Congrats on doing the whole Lane Kiffin. I would assume they maybe have him throw out a yellow golf ball or a mustard bottle first pitch on Friday night. Funny stuff right there. 
right there for the taking and Ole Miss capitalized, which you got to give them credit. They don't always capitalize on the easy stuff. So congrats to Ole Miss on that one. Odds on Lane throwing a strike. He was a college quarterback at Fresno State, wasn't he? So um, I'll go odds are pretty good. I'll go, I don't know, minus 110. I think it's about even odds that he throws a strike. Lane Kiffin, I bet he's got a decent arm. You know, they do, they do the whole Friday baseball uh, wiffle ball thing. Uh, on was that on game days or was that the off season? I can't remember. It doesn't really matter. Um, out there after practice, so you know he's got the juices going. He's not a uh, not too far removed from throwing on the old glove and playing catch or whatever. So I'll go uh, minus one ten odds. Who takes Matt Corral in the draft? John Mark Roberts asks. Here we go. Um, your guess is as good as mine. I imagine he lands somewhere in the teens with a quarterback needy franchise. Seattle would be an interesting one. Is Seattle in the teens? I'll go NFL draft order here real quick. I'll just pull it up in real time just to see who he potentially land to. I, I would take Matt Corral as the first quarterback taken. I guess I could hear an argument for um, Kenny Pickett. I don't understand the Malik Willis thing. I mean, I understand it. I don't understand how he's a, more of a sure thing than Corral. So I don't really get that. But it sounds like both those guys are going to go ahead of them. So – just for practicality's sake. Um, let's see. You got two quarterbacks going there, top ten. Maybe the Panthers, that's potentially at six. That would have that, the quarterback draft would have to get pretty weird at that point. But that would be the absolute earliest. Seahawks at nine. That's probably the earliest I see him going. I'll go. Hmm. Eagles back to back at 15 and 16, potentially. Not sold on hurt. Saints at 18. Throughout the Steelers at 20, Steelers at 20 feels right. I'll go, he takes Steelers at 20. I know they did the Mitch Trubisky thing, but that'll be my best guess for now. But honest to God, man, I have no idea. But those are some good options. Um, Clay Bermuda checking in here. Should Lane throw out a golf ball, a baseball, or a mustard bottle on Friday night? I'll go mustard bottle because uh, I would like to see how Mike Bianco handles that. Maybe the mustard bottle spews, gets all over his catcher, Aiden Dunhurst. Or, Whoever, uh, I think the starting catcher catches the first pitch on Friday night. See how Mike handles that. I think his brain may break. Um, I'll go mustard bottle, though. I think that would be the funniest thing. Although he did catch that golf ball. Uh, no, excuse me. He caught, yeah, did he catch the golf ball or the mustard bottle? I can't remember. Anyway, I'll go mustard bottle. Weekend baseball prediction. Well, uh, see earlier in the podcast. We just made those. Spencer Day, can my pup Snoop, a four-month-old golden retriever, become the official dog mascot of Rippy Rights? Absolutely. What a great-looking dog there. You're hired, Snoop. Congrats. I don't really know what your job title is yet, but uh, we'll have your people reach out to my people, figure it out. Uh, so congrats on the gig. Snoop, uh, if you're listening, tell uh, Snoop I said hello. Looks like a uh, terrific puppy there. Luke Vauders checking in here. We need Greg on for Grill Corner. I can do that in the next couple weeks. Don't worry. Let me get past the NCAA tournament, and we'll, uh, we'll get that rolling. How far do you think you can take Rippy Rights? I started listening to you when you joined MPW, and I love your content. Well, thanks, man. I really, uh, really appreciate that. I think you and your experts could take this thing far. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never really thought about that. Um, I mean – Honestly, I've been, I mean, I've told this story quite a few times, but I literally just started this as a way to kill time. I was bored at the office. I wasn't doing any sort of like sports stuff anymore. And I knew that I probably wasn't going to be the best thing for me if, if I didn't have some sort of creative outlet. So I literally just started it um, on a whim. My girlfriend made me a logo. That's a right hand writing with the left hand. We got the SoundCloud stuff squared away for Apple uh, podcasts. And, um, 
and Spotify and off we went. I really had no plan for it. I had no idea what it was going to be. I didn't really know how Substack worked. And, you know, if you told me a year later, we had the listenership that we do, the amount of subscribers that we do and that we've now you know, kind of partnered in with MPW Digital there, I would have probably called you insane. So I really don't know how far I can take this. I know I can, what I can tell you is I'm really enjoying it right now. I probably need to get better about selling the show from like a sponsorship aspect of it and kind of beefing up some of the, uh, I want to call it loose ends, but like smaller stuff, maybe doing some more like on camera stuff with the podcast instead of just me having uh, me coming over uh, you people in the car or wherever you're listening, maybe do a video element, like capitalize more on that. But again, it's also just, I mean, it's also still a side hustle. I still am uh, in the grease industry. So um, I don't really know. I've never thought about this, but what I can tell you is I'm having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Um, I have, you know, complete creative freedom to kind of think of different things and write different stuff and not have to be bogged down with a lot of the day-to-day stuff that you have when you're maybe like on a beat or something like that. And I love that aspect of it. And I think it allows me some more freedom. I can write about whatever I want about, whether it's golf or whatever, and just kind of see who likes what. And so I don't know what the ceiling for that is, but you know, if you find people keep reading and keep listening, I would just say the moon is the limit. Rippy writes to the moon. How about that? So I appreciate that, and I appreciate you guys listening. But uh, as far as how far I can take it, uh, I don't know. Let's go two vacation homes and a yacht. That's how far I want to take this podcast and newsletter. Anyway, appreciate you listening, man. And then your second question was ideal weekend rotation from what we know so far. Um, I'm going to go with what he did. I think Mike's got the best rotation uh, he could possibly have uh, at the moment as Gaddis Doherty, Diamond. I would probably at the end of the day probably go Doherty, Gaddis, Diamond. I know I've been on the get Gaddis back to Saturday's hill. I think that's probably the optimal rotation, but I understand why Mike's doing it the way he's doing it now. So I think they're right where they need to be. I don't know if that's where it ends up, but um, I think the rotation right now makes sense for what this team is. Let's see. Making sure I didn't miss any here. Um, we're going through it, going through it. I think we answered all of the mailbag questions. How about that? We rolled through that pretty quickly. Um, appreciate you guys listening as always. That'll do it for mailbag Friday, the people's holiday. We'll be back next week. Uh, so submit in your questions. Great turnout on the people's holiday, uh, this week. I appreciate you guys submitting your questions and, uh, Colin and I will be back at it with our Sunday baseball conversation. I appreciate you guys listening as always. Uh, wherever you may be. Hopefully your weekend's already underway, something uh, cold in your hand, doing something you enjoy. Thanks for making us a small part of that, and we will catch you on Sunday.